are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. And now you can take your Bibles. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to look at a number of scriptures this morning. This is a, a topic that I've talked on. Really, I don't ever get off of it. Um, I've spoken on this. It was probably two or three years ago I, I spoke on this part directly. Um, but if you guys hang around here long enough, you're going to discover I have really one message in life. It just happens to be about 150 hours long. So every time you come, you're just getting another piece of it. But it's one message, and it all has to do with union with Christ and our identity. That's where it's at, right there. Why do you hit on identity so much? Because we have still, by and large, a church suffering from identity theft. The bride of Christ doesn't know who she is yet. So as much as anything else, what I'm talking about this morning is a good reminder for me. So can you just humor me in that? Colossians chapter 1. Um, did I tell you something else? No, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Take a look at that. Let's start with that. Oh, I love this. I love this book. Listen to this. Verse 19 in Colossians 1. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Amen. Doesn't that sound a lot like what Jesus is talking about? He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? Yeah. Because it pleased him that all the fullness of God himself should dwell inside the person of Jesus. Okay, now hold on to that. Now look over here at verse 27. To them God willed to make known, which are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, or better translated, who is, everybody say it with me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, now, let's put these together. It pleased God the Father that all the fullness of him would be input inside of Jesus. And then we read this passage, and it says that it's who in me? Christ which is the hope of glory. Okay, you know, church, each one of, every person in here is destined for glory, right? I want us to start thinking about even some of the language we use. Oftentimes, I've seen this happen a lot. Being in Nashville for a number of years, I would see this happen a lot. People would get up to minister and they would sing a song, play an instrument, do something and say, I just want to disappear and just I want all the glory to go to God. Sorry, it doesn't work like that. Because he has been, it's pleased him to put all the fullness of himself in Jesus and then take Jesus and put him inside of you. In other words, God has seen humanity like this. It's, he decided at some level, this is Andrew's paraphrase of however this would look, but God decided that he would best be represented to all the world around him if he had people drawn into him as well. And that way the manifest goodness of God and his glory would come out through people. Come on, does this help? Yeah. You're destined for glory. It's, it's, Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of glory. In other words, the intended target has been glory the whole time. This is what you're designed for. So when we say things like, Will all glory be to the Father? And treat it as some kind of separate thing up there, that's not how he's designed it. I'm not saying get up there and say, Look at all the glory on me. I'm saying... As 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each one has received a gift, minister it as the manifold wisdom of God. 
In other words, what you have inside of you, you minister. And you say, this is part of who I am. I don't apologize for it. I don't get arrogant and get bravado about it, but it's who I am and it's how I minister. Come on, is this good? Is this helping you? We have a lot of people still trying to duplicate two things. Either an anointing that was for yesteryear, right? You talk about stale manna. You talk about something that really turns me off. People trying to do ministry in an anointing that was 30, 40, 50 years ago. And it's starting to look a little old. Or people who try to reproduce an anointing in another individual. No, no, no. Doesn't work like that. I know I'm awesome. Right? Don't try to reproduce me. Don't try to reproduce me. As a matter of fact, I know who I am. Aim a little higher. It's okay. It's okay. Be who God created you to be. This is all about identity. This is all about the glory of God being inside of you. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to encourage you this morning. I see this by and large, not just in here. I'm talking about the greater body of Christ in the church. I see this probably as the main issue on why we don't see the kingdom advanced as much as we could see it advanced. The word tells us in Peter that we can hasten the day of the Lord. In other words, by what we do, we can move God. But yet I can look at the world around me and go, why isn't so much more of the kingdom being advanced? I think it's primarily, it's not because we're fighting the devil. That's not why. It's not, the devil is not what's keeping us. I think I posted something like this the other day. It's not the devil. It's not spiritual warfare that keeps yeah. the kingdom from advancing. It's people who have tasted, who have seen of the goodness of God and then lose their appetite. Then we back off and have expectations that somebody else is going to do it. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. I've said before, I like stepping on people's toes. I'm just going to stand on yours for a minute. Um, I've said before, I said, don't ever have expectations to bring a friend of yours or a family member of yours to this church in hopes that they'll somehow get saved or encounter. You know what I'm saying? I want that. I want people to encounter God, but to have the responsibility put on a few leaders or a pastor, it doesn't work that way. My job is to equip you. What am I doing right now? I'm equipping you. I'm saying, wake up to who you really are. It pleased the Father that all the fullness of himself should be in Jesus, and then it says of Jesus that he is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, this glory, all of this stuff, it's all brought together. I've said it before. I know it's a little offensive, but you are so full, brought into the Trinity, enmeshed into the Trinity of God, that if you were any more powerful, you'd be a threat. You're not standing outside of the Trinity. You're not standing somewhere out there like God is looking at you and going, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, right? You ever have feelings and thoughts like that? Like, oh, those people over there, you know, man, they got it together. Me, I'm over here. Kind of like, kind of like God is like, you're looking at God, God's looking at Jesus, and there's this like weird vibe going on. God's looking at Jesus saying, how the heck did he get in here? (laughs) Jesus is saying, I don't know, it's that believe thing. You said if they believe, and here they are, so. (laughs) You get what I'm saying. I know it breaks down, but listen, there is such uh, an issue in the mind, really, and we're going to talk about that. There's such an issue in the mind where we put separation between us and God. And I just, in my core, I... I cannot get off of this. For the rest of my life, I will be on this, bringing the church back into the revelation that they've been brought into him, and it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Don't try to beg, borrow, steal to try to get more of Christ in you. You can't get any more. The issue is not getting more of him. The issue is him getting out. Oh, that was a good word. Yeah. Look back now, verse 19 again. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things. How many things? And by him to reconcile all things. Here's the deal. We don't have a problem believing in the redemptive work of God. We have a real problem believing in the restorative work of God. He reconciled all things, church. You could ponder that for a while. Med seriously, meditate on that passage for a while and just say, Holy Spirit, show me what does that really look like? That you've reconciled all things things to himself by him whether things on earth or things in heaven come on don't you love that again there's not a separation here having made peace through the blood of the cross in verse 21 i want to pay attention to here and you who were once alienated and enemies in your what mind by wicked works he has now reconciled where was our alienation from god right there so there's a little that little space right between our ears and it's still a constant battle. You have been reconciled to God completely. Completely. The challenge we face is we've got little demonic voices running around all the time speaking into our ears and saying, well, you really need to do this if you really want God to love you. Or God won't love you because you've done that. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? right. And you who were once, history, were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. This verse is powerful to me. You were alienated in your minds, not in person, in your minds. This is, this is the core of why repentance is so important. When we talk about repentance, metanoia, the word meaning to change your mind, meaning you don't just change it as in some kind of random changing. It's not a, well... You know, that may not be the best thing for me, so I'll do this thing over here. That's not repentance. Repentance is when you say and believe and start thinking like he's thinking, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Isaiah says, you know, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. My ways are not like your ways. My thoughts are higher than your ways. I feel this thing. I feel like I need to hit this repentance thing. I hit it all the time. Is it okay if we review a little bit? Peter says that too. Stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Repentance means to change your mind. It does not mean to turn and go in the opposite direction. That is the fruit of repentance. You will turn and go in the opposite direction once your mind is changed. You try to turn and go in the opposite direction when your mind has not been changed, you can only do it for so long because it's self-will. Because you're really not thinking any different. You're just trying to perform. Performance stinks. You're either going to find two things are going to happen if you try to Go in the opposite direction without having a true change of mind where you're thinking like God. One of two things is going ha to happen. You're going to get really depressed because you find out you can't do it, or you're going to get really arrogant because you find some level of success in it. Yeah. Both of them bring the focus back on us. So unfortunate. True repentance means we start to think like he thinks. The word even re repent in English, I love this, repent. Re means again. Pent means what? High place. So what are we doing? We're going again to the high place. Going back again. What does he think? I got to go back to the word. I got to see stuff like this that I once was alienated in my mind by wicked works. But now I've been completely reconciled. 
Thank God my reconciliation doesn't have anything to do with me. Hello? Wow. But Andrew, what about sin? Well, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's all taken care of. You don't have that sin nature anymore, but it still happens. I know. Isn't that crazy? Maybe we ought to ask ourselves that question. Heard somebody say this once. They said, they kept saying, you're not a sinner, you're not a sinner. And somebody replied with a question saying, well, if I'm not a sinner, why do I keep sinning? And he said, that's a very, very good question. Sin will not separate you from God, okay? Let's, let's get that settled. Sin will not separate you from God. But it does have an adverse effect on the relationship. It doesn't separate you. It doesn't make him run away. It doesn't make him cringe. It doesn't make him go, oh, God, oh, God, can't look at that, oh. You guys know, I'm joking, but you guys know what I'm talking about. You have thoughts like that. If you're in the middle of something that you know is wrong, isn't it real easy to think of God turning his back and facing a different direction or running away? It doesn't happen. Personally, I've had encounters with Jesus where I, I know, and I'll ask the question, where is he? What is he doing right now in my life? Because he's always with us, right? <laughs> to ask the question, only to have him sitting there with me the entire time in something that probably I shouldn't be doing, and he's sitting there the whole time, and he's just kind of going, hey, bro, I'm right here. That's going to wreck you. It's the wicked works that, what it says right here, you who once were alienated, enemy, enemies in your mind by wicked works. It's the works of sin itself. It's the action of sin itself that builds these walls that make us think that somehow he's alienated from us. And it doesn't work like that. Come on, are you hearing me this morning? Yes. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to close the gap here. Yes. There was nothing you did ever to earn or gain his love. Ever. Yeah, right. Nothing you did. He did it. The word says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, he made the commitment before we ever had the understanding. Everything we see throughout Scripture is God taking the initiative. Go all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant, where he made the covenant with Abraham. And he told Abraham to take animals, cut them in half. You guys know the story, right? Cut them in half. And then he sat there and waited and waited and waited. Abraham starts to fall asleep. All of a sudden he sees this thing. And all of a sudden you see these weird things starting to happen. In covenant, they took animals, cut them in half, and the two individuals would walk between the two, signifying to everyone around them that we're going to commit to this relationship together. And so be it to me, like these animals, if I back out of this thing. In the Abrahamic covenant, who was it that came through the animals? Jesus. It was God. Abraham wasn't in it, was he? Who was it that made the new covenant with us in his blood? Jesus. It's the unilateral covenant. He makes the decision, he makes the choice, and he says, I am reconciling you to myself. Yeah. Come on, this is good news, isn't it? I'm, I'm talking the gospel right here. That's what I'm talking about. This is the gospel. Something hit me last night. We were over at Randy and Trisha's house, and something hit me, and whenever things hit me like that, I usually just will write them down or post them real quick. And I post it, and I've already gotten some interesting feedback on it, that religion is really easy to sell. Religion is really easy to sell because yeah. people still want to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. We don't want to eat from the tree of life. We want to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So if I come to you selling you something and saying, you know what? 
if you will just give to me, your life will be blessed. <laughs> right? Come on, we're hitting a little close to home on some stuff right here. Right? You hear what I'm saying? What, that's, what is that? That's religion. It's because I want something, so if, if you tell me what to do, I will do it, and therefore I will get something out of it. Somebody else followed up with a post. It was a quote from Robert Capone. It said, grace, you can't even give it away. But religion, it was in response to what I wrote, but it was religion, you can sell it all day long. Because people want that. They want something to know, if this is what I can do, this is what I can't do. I can do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do that. Just give me clear, defined rails to run on, and I'll do that. That's religion itself. But grace, you can't sell it. You can't give it away even. You try to give grace to people, and they stand back and go, wait, that's just, no. (laughs) Doesn't the word say, doesn't Paul write in Galatians, and he says that this gospel is an offense to those who are perishing? Did you know that word offense there is the word scandal on? It's where we get the word scandalous. The whole message of the gospel of grace itself is a scandal. It's a complete scandal. It's like, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me, you're telling me that I had this enormous, out-of-control debt. And without even talking to me about it, he came and paid that debt off? Yeah, but that's not even the good news. If he had gotten me out of debt, Dayenu, right? It's Hebrew. It would have been enough. If he had gotten me out of debt, that would have been enough. But he did, he, what he said was, I'm not only getting you out of debt, but I'm going to bring you into my economy and my family. I'm going to set you right in the middle of this, and I want you to understand something, that that debt, not only has it been paid, but I've given you resources that are beyond your imagination. Beyond your imagination. And by the way, everything that got you into that position in the first place, because it was your nature to act like that, everything about that, I took away your nature. I took away everything inside of you that bent you in that direction. Come on, is this helpful? It blows my mind. God, why would you do it? Why, why would you do that? Why would you take absolutely everything that I've done wrong in my life and entire humanity, the entire planet, why would you take all that and then just not only get rid of it, but bring me into this incredible relationship with you that is not my doing, it's totally yours, that you set me right in the middle and all you want to do is just look at me and say how much you, I move you. That's, that's, that's off the chart, isn't it? Cra- that is, you tell somebody that and they're like, Mm-mm, there's got to be, there's something to that. Can't believe that. It's too good to be true. You hear what I'm saying, right? Song of Solomon. I love when, when Brian Simmons was here and he, he did a whole teaching on Song of Solomon. And I don't know if you guys were here for that, but he explained that the Song of Solomon was the primary doctrinal book for the early church. It wasn't Romans. It wasn't Corinthians. Song of Solomon was the primary doctrinal book for the early church. And there's a passage in there. There's multiple translations to it, but his translation, I'm going to get it wrong, but it's something along the lines of, we've made a song out of it. You know that song that we sing, Your Love Has Captivated My Heart and Taken Me Over, Taken Me Over? We sing that like we're singing it to God. That's actually God singing it to us. Just one look at your worshiping eyes, and I'm undone. 
you think about this. This, I, What am I trying to do here? I want to wake, wake us up to this reality that there is no longer any kind of striving to try to get after him. He looks at you, brings you in, and says, I want everything about you very, very close to me. And when you worship, not because I need it, this is God. He's like, he's, he doesn't need worship. He's fully self-contained in who he is, right? He's not insufficient in anything. But he knows that worship directs that gaze to him, which changes what happens inside of us and the way we think. It's what worship primarily does. It's a, it's a matter of magnifying God. When, when, when David writes and he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. How do you do that? How do you magnify the God who is bigger than anything in this universe? It doesn't make him any bigger. It brings him into focus. That's more of a magnification. It brings him into focus. What am I trying to do this morning? To bring us to a place to recognize you have been brought so fully into him and he's looking at you and he goes, do you know that even when you look at me, I cry? I break down. I break down and I'm just absolutely undone. Good night, man. It's hard for me even to do with my kids and I love them dearly. I love them with my life. In other words, church, this whole thing about the gospel, it's worse than you think. It's more scandalous than you think. It is. It really is. Oh, God, help us. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5 real quick. I'm going to refer to another passage, but I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, looking in verse 13. I'll put your finger there, hold it, Matthew 5, 13. Uh, and there's all kinds of really good stuff in this. The fact that Matthew was a Jew and he's writing this from a Jewish perspective is that we could go off on that, but I'm, I'll, I'll refrain. <laughs> there's a passage in Isaiah 60, verse 1. It says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. And listen to this. It gets better. And the glory of the Lord, come on, has risen upon you. Did it say around you? Nope, it's on you. It's on you. Oops, can't get away from that one. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Arise and shine, for your light has come. It doesn't say arise and reflect. Arise and shine. Arise and reflect. I just want, I just want Jesus to be shown off of me wherever I go. Well, actually, he's inside you. Actually, he's inside you. And as a matter of fact, if you start to get really, really comfortable with the fact that Jesus is inside you, people are going to get a lot more than what you think they need to get. In other words, you might think you know what people need to see. I just want people to just experience Jesus when I walk around. Okay, well, stop getting stuck in your own self right there. Start recognizing that the light has come. It's inside of you. And when you get really, really comfortable with the fact that that's where he is and that he doesn't leave, all of a sudden he starts coming out a little bit stronger way. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? It's religion that wants to crush that. Because I don't know about you, I have seen people, they get really, really comfortable with the Jesus inside of them and who they are. And they don't, want to, they don't need to apologize. They don't need to defend. They don't need to argue. They don't need, you know what I'm talking about, right? Have you ever met somebody like that? Hopefully you have. But what's really interesting, what religion does is it comes along when somebody has found that, who they are, and they're starting to shine, and they're just loving Jesus, and it's just so wonderful. What religion will do will come along and try to cut the legs out from under them. And they'll call it arrogance. You hear what I'm talking about, right? I'm not talking about people who are actually being arrogant. I'm talking about people who know who they are. Yeah. Religion wants to come along, cut the legs right out from under them. 
But what's really fun for me to watch is when religion tries to do that to people that know who they are, it doesn't affect them. They're like, what just happened? What? Somebody did what? What? <laughs> Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Psalm 67, 1 and 2. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among the nations. Again, he's made it and set it up in such a way that it would be, inc- it would be incomplete for him just to try to make his name known outside of the church. You might have to think about that one for a minute. <laughs> the light used to be on you, but now it's in you. Look at what it says here in Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing to, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, this is a strange passage because it's like, how many of you think of salt and go, it either is or it isn't, mm-hmm. right? But then you've got this thing. How does salt lose its savor? Salt was sold in earth. It was, it was packed inside of dirt. And when the salt was all used up, they would take it and either take it outside and put it in the potholes in the street or use it to patch their roofs. That's what it talks about when he's saying it's really thrown out and is trampled by men. It's the context of it. I'm, I'm only giving you that for context. There's not some deep spiritual thing in that. I'm just saying there's, there's a reason why it's in there. It's not because, what does that mean? Is that some deep, weird, mysterious thing? No, it's part of the culture right there, how salt was purchased. Today, we go and we buy it in Morton's little whatever, you know? <laughs> or if you're really fancy, you get that Himalayan sea salt. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I digress. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Everybody read that with me. You are the light of the world. Oh, yeah. Cannot be hidden. Come on, that's good, isn't it? You're the light of the world. Remember what Jesus did. He came along before he ever said, you're the light of the world. He came along and said, I'm the light of the world. Right? And then before he leaves, John 16, 17, which is just, oh, man, that's rich. John 16 and 17, read that where he prays to the Father and he says, I want them to be in me and me and you, just like we're all together right here. I don't want that. And everybody who's beyond them, I'm praying for them too. I want them all to be unified in me. Do you think that prayer got answered? It did. It did. Because it says of Jesus that he didn't say anything unless he heard the Father say it. Oh boy, there's something on prayer. I could go on that right now. Here's Jesus praying and he's praying exactly perfect prayers. Why was he praying perfect prayers? Because he was listening to the Father. It's what prayer does. Prayer isn't so much about what we say. Prayer is about getting back in alignment with what God is saying. And sometimes you have to sit there a little while and shut up and be quiet so you can finally hear what he says and then you can say it. The most profound prayers, I believe, are done when somebody sits silent for 30 minutes, listens, and then has two words to say. Okay, that's my two cents on prayer. Let's move on. It's... Yeah, let's do this again. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. I think right here, my own personal belief here is that this basket that it's talking about is religion itself. That's what covers it up. It will. It'll cover it up. Because it's, it doesn't like things that are unsafe. It doesn't like things that are risky. It doesn't like things that are even attractive to people that aren't like them. 
You know what light does? It attracts, right? Yes. Th what kind of stuff does it sometimes attract? <laughs> hmm. I don't know, just a thought. <laughs> Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine. Can we say that together? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, He's saying, Jesus here is saying, I want that light that's in you. I want now that to shine out of you. Because when people see that, they're going to glorify the Father in heaven. They may see your good works. We've taken this passage and we've turned it not into sh light shining, but into good works. It's performance again, right? Forget about the light shining. I just need to go work a little harder. Yeah, good luck there, pal. When you get tired, you get worn out, Let's talk. Come back to this one thing right here. The light that's in you, which by the way had nothing to do with you. It's just a matter of you receiving it and saying, yeah, I'm going to stop the old selfish world striving kind of thing. I'm going to kick the religious can to the curb and I'm going to say no more of that. I'm not drinking out of that one anymore. I want to drink from the tree of life, eat from the tree of life. I want to receive what's coming from him. And then in doing so, my life begins to reflect or begins to shine because I've got the king of glory inside of me. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Amen. It's, it's, it's human nature to want to earn something that was given to us for free. It's human nature. Thank God we're not human. I'm serious. When somebody says something to me like, I'm only human, no, you're not. No, I know you better than that. You're not only human. You have. You've been made partakers of a divine nature. That that old sinful nature has been rooted out of you. You're not merely human. You just had a brain fart. <laughs> it's all right. Let's get up. Well, we're only human. No, if you keep thinking like that, you'll keep acting like that. And again, I believe this is why the kingdom of God doesn't advance as fast as it can advance. It's simply because we've got a lot of people thinking we're merely human. Romans 8 says, the whole of creation is groaning like in birth pains, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. Come on, doesn't that feel good? Yes. You have the ability to release to creation itself the revelation of God. I'm not making it up. It's right there in Scripture. Read it for yourself. All of creation, it's groaning. It's groaning, not in the forming of the sons of God, but in the revelation of the sons of God. In other words, if we begin to get this, then we begin to operate in a way that is really consistent with who we really are. That's who we really are. All right, everybody stand up here. I'm going to pray for you because I want you to get whacked with something really good here. I'm going to challenge you with something here. I really want to challenge you with something here. Let, let Holy Spirit begin to speak to you in this one specific area. How much of your New, New Testament Christianity are you still living with Old Testament parameters? Ask Holy Spirit that. 
Let him begin to talk to you about the language you use. Because if you can let Holy Spirit reveal to you what comes out of your mouth, it will show you what you really believe. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? This is making sense. I'm not saying this in a condemning way. What I'm saying is let's move on from these beggarly elements of what was the old covenant, the old covenant that had its value, but Corinthians 3 tells me that it had glory on it. But compared to the glory of the new covenant, it's like it had no glory at all. Remember what I said earlier on. We're dragging an anointing that was meant for yesteryear into the current, trying to live on it, and it doesn't work. It's no wonder the world looks at what we produce as Christians and put out there, and they go, yuck. Because they see it for what it is. It's manna full of worms. Start to, I'm challenging you with this, to ask the question. Just begin. Do it now, but do it throughout the week. Say, Lord, what am I dragging into my new covenant relationship with you that is old covenant? What am I trying to do out of my own self-life? What am I trying to do? What What ways am I thinking about you that are inconsistent with what you've already said to be true about you and me? Ask the question. We were all created in the image of God, but we're all being conformed into the image of Jesus. And this conforming doesn't have to do with how much we work to get there. It has to do with how much we let our minds be renewed. How much repentance we walk in. I'm a hardcore grace preacher. I am. I'm a hardcore. I'd be called one of those hyper grace kinds of preachers. But I'm telling you what. People like that tend to think that repentance is not part of grace. No, man. Repentance is a life that you live. It's a moment-by-moment way of life. And if, you, and if you think that repentance and grace stand in opposition to each other, then you don't understand grace at all, and you may not understand repentance because they work so much hand-in-hand. Hand. The more grace that I get, the more repentance comes. Why aren't you worried about sin? Hell no. That's the last thing I want to think about. I want to think about the goodness of God. I want to think about the glory of God. I want to think about the deposits of God, the new nature that's inside of me. I want to think about those things. I want to think the things that he thinks, that he thinks about me, which is I am the righteousness of Christ. I'm no longer called a servant. I'm a friend. I'm a co-heir with him. Come on, those are good things to think, right? Start thinking like that, then repentance starts to happen. Yeah, yeah, hold your hands out here. All right, God, just whack them. Just knock them out. Knock them silly. Knock them silly with your goodness, Lord God. Knock them silly with this just sense of like absolute wonder and amazement at how much we've been so fully brought into you. This mystery that Paul talks about that has been hidden for ages but has now been made known Lord, I want to know more about that. Wherever my mind is not lining up with it, and I'm praying this, I hope you'll agree with me, that wherever my mind is not lining up with what you say to be true about me, Lord, I want to know it. Shout it at me. Shout it in my ear. Grab me by the head and shake me back and forth, shouting it at me until I hear it. Ah. Grab me by my hair. Yank me up like Elijah. Do something, Lord God, that will shake me out of the norm so that I begin to think like you think because, God, I want to live as a person who shines in the planet. Mark chapter 9, transfiguration. Jesus began to glow. 
I want to glow like that. I want to glow like that. Why not? Jesus modeled it. I want to sh- arise and shine. Am I just going to keep that in some spiritual compartment, or am I going to say, yeah, I want to, everywhere I go, I want light to go into a dark room. I can walk in the room, and the light comes on, and I don't even have to say anything. All I do is I walk in the room, and the light comes on, and people start to go, God, you're good. I didn't even know you existed. You think that can happen? Here's the, here's the good news, guys, in all of this stuff. It's effortless, and it's easy. You don't have to go look for a light switch inside your soul to turn it on so you can shine. He is the switch. He is in there. Let's let him out. Let him out. So, God, I'm just praying all of that wonderful, ooey-gooey goodness of who you are would saturate our hearts and minds to the degree that we would just be absolutely lost at a loss of words. All we know is that we live in this wonderful relationship with you. With this constant, ongoing expectation of the marriage supper of the Lamb. (laughs) Song of Solomon. Take me to the house of wine. There's joy. (laughs) I want to live in that house. I want to live in that house. Oh, God, yeah. Lord, release it. Lord, and I'm, right now I'm speaking. I don't spend a lot of time doing this, but I felt it in the Spirit right now. I'm speaking to every demonic obstruction that has been allowed in, Lord, whether intentionally or unintentionally. It doesn't matter, Lord. I'm speaking to every demonic obstacle and obstruction in the mind of every person here that is keeping the light of the gospel, as Corinthians says, the light of the gospel from shining. Ooh, that's a good one. That's what Satan does, Corinthians says. He comes and he blinds the minds of the unbelieving lest the light of the gospel should shine in them. So if there's no shining, it's because of this thing in Corinthians we talked or Colossians we talked about and what Corinthians talked about. It's going on in the mind. It's going on in the mind. So Lord, I'm just praying for clear minds. Lord, I'm praying for minds to be so clear that they begin to dream things that they've never imagined. And that when they wake up, they see them as you running around in the halls of their mind while they're sleeping, just depositing good God gifts that they can find for later and start to think about them. Unwrap that package. Think about that one for a while. Think about that. Think about that. Think about this, child, that when you look at me, I absolutely just come undone. Unpack that present and look at that one for a while. Oh, God, hear our hearts in all of this, Lord. It's not about us just trying to be all ooey-gooey good for the sake of being nice and fun in our little selfish world, Lord. We know that it's part of your design to see the world come to know you through us. And it doesn't work through our works. It only comes through you. Everybody say amen to that. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.